We're at the end, finally, and it's been a great run. I've really, really enjoyed preaching uh, through Philippians. We've been considering the wonderful virtue of Christian contentment over the last couple times together, and uh, let's do a quick review before we get into the final verses. There are seven elements, and you can mark these down. It'll take you all the way from verse 10 through the end of the chapter here. Seven elements. Number one, Christian contentment begins with gratitude. With gratitude. You will never be content or in a state of contentment if you're complaining. It just doesn't work that way. And Paul showed his gratitude to the Philippians by thanking them for their gift. Verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last... You've received your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. And they started giving to him again. I don't know what happened in the interim. Uh, we we're not told, but there was a drop-off period there where they weren't able to give to him or weren't giving to him, and now they've started up again, and he is just sharing his gratitude. So Christian contentment begins with gratitude. Secondly, verse 11 Christian gratitude receives the providence of God without complaint. Look at verse 11. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances that I find myself in. There cannot be a rejection of the circumstances that we're going through, grumbling and complaining about them, or the adoption of a victim mentality, and then... Say you're content. They don't work together either, not even close. That would be to call into question the wisdom of the providence of God. He is sovereign over all things. Everything that comes into our life, there is no temptation that has taken you, but such is common to man. And with that temptation, he will make a way out. We have no excuses, folks. That word want means not having sufficient means, poverty, in need, okay? And he says in verse 11, not that I speak from want. Paul wasn't in that condition. But he had learned to be content, and content means having all sufficiency. Contentment means to be self-sufficient. That's actually what the word translates to be. Thirdly, we picked up a definition of contentment from an old Puritan, 1648, Jeremiah Burroughs, and he said this, quote, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to, and get this, delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I think he really understood what contentment is because he just about covers every base right there. I could exposit that statement. I mean, there's so much there, and it's very, very true. Fourthly, learn contentment through life circumstances. In verse 12, he tells us, Paul does, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. You see, the learning is in the living. 
The learning is in the living. The outward circumstances do not matter, whether it's much or little, whether humble means or, or prosperity. That's not the issue. And that's what Paul's trying to help the Philippians to understand, and us by extension. All of the outward circumstances are divvied out by God and the providence of God. And they are but training ground for God's children to learn contentment. So if you're going through a difficult time right now, as many of you are, okay, right? Two hands up. If you're going through a difficult time right now, look at it as an opportunity that God has presented to you to learn contentment. It's a whole different way to look at these things. The goal is to learn what the psalmist so eloquently penned when he said, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's in Psalm 72. You see, the psalmist knew what it was to be content. And, and you know where, where it says, where he says, Whom have I in heaven but thee, and besides thee I desire nothing on the earth? Sometimes God needs to strip away an awful lot of stuff before we come to that point of recognizing that he is our all in all. We can find him completely sufficient for the need that we find ourselves in. So you've got beginning with gratitude. It receives the providence of God without complaint. Contentment defined by Jeremiah Burroughs. It includes not only the receiving it with a sweet spirit, but delighting in whatever God is bringing our way. Learn contentment through life circumstances. Take the bumps as well as the, the mountaintops, all equal. Fifthly, here's the key to contentment in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When a person is filled with pursuing things in the world, they cannot be filled with Christ. It's an example of the bottle that is empty. It's got air in it. If you put water in it, it displaces the air, right? I mean, that's a simple fact. And the truth of the matter is, if our lives are filled with pursuing worldly things, contentments that the world can bring, uh, riches, career, whatever, houses, cars, whatever, okay? Good kids that, that don't give us headaches. Let me know if you have any of those, because... I'm going to take a snapshot of you and put you up on Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat because you'll be the first person ever to have children that don't give you problems. That's why you have the children is to teach them and to learn contentment in those circumstances. But I'm telling you, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens. Don't be robbed of the singular devotion to Christ, 2 Corinthians 11.3. But I am afraid, Paul said, that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds, oh man, it's a battleground. Everything takes place up here. Then it moves down into the heart. Then it kind of takes over through actions, right? And we live it out. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity, meaning singleness, not just that it's simple, easy to do, but singleness and purity of devotion to Christ. You see, the whole idea here is that when there's a singular devotion to Christ, you'll not be led astray. 
You'll be walking in a straight and narrow. You know what I think about? I have this screensaver on my computer. Remember the story in Pilgrim's Progress where Christian is walking and he comes upon two lions? Do you remember that? And, and they're really fierce lions, and they're real. They're lions, and they've got teeth and claws, and they're just they're, they're right at the edge of his path, and he's got to walk in between those two lions. If he stays on the path, they can't get him because they're chained. Beloved, <laughs> that's what walking with God is like through this, the troubles that we face on earth. Walk with him, and you won't be devoured by those lions. I think there's something about that in Peter, isn't there, about being devoured? Don't be led astray. When devotion remains singular, there's no opportunity to be led astray. And that's what Paul meant when he said, I have learned, I have learned. It's a growing process. It doesn't come all at once. Some of us have to have do-overs. I do. To be content in whatever circumstance. Sixthly, giving brings great contentment. Now, this is, this is a difficult lesson because we are who we are. Verses 15 and 16. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. He's talking about financial giving here. You can't spiritualize this. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. And he goes on and continues to talk about these things. And he's talking about what Jesus said. Remember, or I think it was Paul, said, remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 20, 35. Maybe because releasing the tangible material possessions marks a heart that is free from them. Money is something to us. It, it really is something. We are tethered. I mean, money makes the world go round, right? Wrong? God makes the world go round. You forgot. But we feel like that, don't we? Especially when we don't have it and we need some. I'm telling you the truth. When we give, we are focused outward, away from ourselves. When we give, we imitate God because God so loved the world that he gave. Giving is a real mark of spiritual maturity. I'm not saying that, let's take another collection. No, I'm not saying that. It's not about the money. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. And, and, and money or possessions, houses, cars, things like this, the material stuff can wrap around our heart just like calcium and, and plaque and choke us out. Choke us out. There's something about that in the parable of the sower, isn't there? The cares of the world. Choke out the good word that God wants to implant in the heart. So giving brings great contentment. Finally, Verse 17, Paul received, but it was for their profit. He says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself. He's not, he's not worried about the money. He's learned to be content in whatsoever he, he, circumstance he finds them. And he says, I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Now, I could pull a real swift one on you and say, 
hey guys, you know, just give more money to the church. Come on, give more money because I really want to see you profit. I could go that route. I'm not going to. I'll let the Spirit of God work in your hearts as He works in my heart. And frankly, God is doing a great blessing on this church. The fact that we're the size that we are and we own this building, yes, we're paying it down, but God has done wonderful things. You are a very, very, very generous people. I've never missed a paycheck, ever, ever, and plus benefits. I mean, you guys, thank you. But can I just tell you something? You can't outgive God. You, you could give everything. And if you're doing it with a sincere heart and you're joyful, it'll come back to you, pressed down, shaken. You just can't. And giving and receiving, giving is the better part by far. Now, I'd like to go to the last section. Look at me, uh, look at verse 18. Okay, we're just going to go all the way down and read it to you. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphrodites what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God, and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those at Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we break into this new section and final section in the book of Philippians, we pray that your spirit would have free course in our hearts. Pray that he would have free course in my heart, my words, and Father, that the truth of your word would burrow down into our hearts, whatever nugget you want to reveal to us today, and that we might act upon it and let it transform us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a story told about this guy, and uh, as he was growing up, he was very poor, and he was looking through a magazine one day that his father had, and um, he, he saw a picture of these people on a cruise, a sea cruise. And these people on the sea cruise, well, number, you know, there are a couple, it was an advertisement for cruising, and so he sees these people out on the deck, you know, and their, their hair is blown back, and, and then he sees some other pictures of them eating sumptuous food and everything. And this little kid, he, he looked dirt poor, and he, he just put his heart on that thing. And his entire life, he just always kept that picture in his mind how he'd love to go on a cruise. And he saved and saved and saved his money. He never became a very rich person or, or even one with enough, but he had saved and saved and saved, and he finally went on the cruise. Well, he knew that he would not have enough money, being a poor person still, to really indulge in all those fancy dinners that he saw those people eating. So he planned out his, his meals, and he got peanut butter and bread, enough for his seven-day cruise. Well, he went on the cruise, and as he was cruising, he was having a great time, uh, just loving standing out on the deck and getting that sea air, and it was just like the photograph that he saw when he was a little kid. But it was really starting to get to him because by the fifth day, he was really bored with peanut butter and bread. And it 
to, to make it worse, the porters would be coming past him and he'd smell the food that all the other guests were eating and he just longed for it. Finally, he couldn't take it anymore and he says to the porter, he said, what do I have to do to get one of those dinners? I, anything you want me to do to earn one, I'll do that. And the porter said, well, sir, don't you have a ticket for the cruise? And he said, yeah. And he says, don't you realize that the meals are included with the ticket? Oh, a lot of Christians are like that. A lot of Christians are like that. They got the ticket, they're on the boat, and they're eating peanut butter sandwiches while everybody else is out there eating a sumptuous fare. Beloved, you don't want to be that person. I don't want you to be that person. All you could ever need has already been purchased on our behalf by the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd like to focus on verse 19 today. Verse 19, because the rest of it is just kind of all focused on verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And I want to bring out four things, that God is the one who supplies. God is the one who supplies, not us. Some of us wear ourselves out making those peanut butter sandwiches. And God has supplied everything we need. Number two, there's no need that is too great that God cannot meet. He can meet the greatest need in our lives. And maybe it's kind of like we discovered on the mission field that when a child dies, the missionary was able to rally up and withstand that. But don't send in their peanut butter on the flight and they lose their world. They go nuts on the radio. Skid. Where's my peanut butter? It'll be three months before the flight comes in again. It's like, wow. And maybe it's like that with you. Maybe the big things you can handle, it's a, it's a little pricks here and there, you know. Driving, oh, Oh, don't talk to me about driving. Why don't Minnesotans know how to drive? <laughs> and don't dare go across the border to Wisconsin. <laughs> right? But it, it's those things. And I mean, my daughter used to always tell me, Papa, they can't hear you. <laughs> and it's probably good they can't hear me. You know, road rage. So... There's an endless resource. There's no need too great. There's an endless resource to meet the need. And fourthly, everything is through Christ. Everything is through Christ. Christ is a centerpiece, always. Always goes back to Christ. So let's just look at this. My God will supply your needs. Let's pray. Father, I just can't help but ask you to bear down on our hearts these truths because we can be happy with little or much. And so many of us, Father, are afflicted with afflictions that are self-afflicted. They're not, they're not sent by you. They're, they're, they're things that we've taken upon ourselves. God, deliver us, we pray today in Jesus' name. The need must be identified before God can meet it. Okay? The need must be identified before God can meet it. I want you to turn your Bibles back to the Old Testament to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 4, and we're going to see something really interesting here. 
2 Kings chapter 4, I'm going to begin at verse 1. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Elijah said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. So you've got the situation. This woman doesn't have a man providing for her anymore. She's got two sons. And the creditors are coming because she doesn't have any way to pay them back. And she owes them money. And they're coming. And they're going to take her two sons and make them work to be able to pay off things. And the prophet says to her, what do you have? She says, I've only got this jar of oil. Now I want to tell you, there's a difference here. This jar, that word jar, it means like a flask, a small little container for anointing oil. That's what that's talking about. And she says, all I've got left is this little jar of oil. Verse 3. And then he said, go borrow vessels. That means big, okay, compared to the little jar. Go borrow vessels for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get just a few. Get a bunch. I want you to get as many vessels as you can get from your neighbors. Make them big. Make them empty. Don't worry about it. And collect them. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons, and pour out into all these vessels, and you shall, set, uh, you shall set aside what is full. So, I mean, number one, it takes an awful lot of faith for the woman, number one, to go get empty vessels, because she knows all she's going to be pouring from is the little container for anointing. So, she's believing God, and she goes and collects all these vessels, and she has them empty, and she's got them all set out, and she goes in her house. And so she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. And they were bringing the vessels to her. And she poured into the empty vessels. And when the vessels were full, when the big, large vessels were all full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. She had what she needed. Did she? Verse 7. And then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Oh my gosh. Okay? Not only did God provide her to cover the debt so her sons didn't have to go to prison, he provided enough oil that she could sell it and live on the proceeds. That's God. That's the God that we're dealing with, people. And so many of us don't know him in that way. Kind of reminds me of Jesus when he had to feed the multitudes and he said to the disciples, is there any food around? And they say, well, there's a little boy here. He's got a couple of loaves and a couple of fishes. And he says, bring them to me. And he takes them and he blesses them and he begins to pass them out, Right? The multitude was fed, wasn't it? But what was left? Twelve baskets full. Who do you think got those baskets? The twelve disciples. And that's what God is like. He's over and above, far beyond all that we can ask or think. That is his largesse. That is his generosity. That is his giving. 
And we're sitting here eating peanut butter sandwiches. Look at the needs as opportunities for God to work, people. As I said, we all have multitudes of needs. Needs of a personal nature, needs for our families, needs of a financial realm, needs in relationship, needs in our careers. Oh, have you heard that you need to have a vaccine or you're not going to have a place to work? It's coming, people. I'm preparing you right now. I told you two years ago, persecution is coming, and we need to prepare ourselves for it. Have you been preparing yourself for it? Don't be shocked. Don't be shocked. Needs for time, needs for rest, needs for quietness, needs for health, needs for now, needs for the future. We're needy machines. We factory and produce needs on a momentary basis. Now, I'm not just talking about my needs, because I have many, but I'm talking about your needs. So multiply all those needs represented right here, right now, today, and there's more, but just take how many needs that there are right here in our group, and it just shows you it's got to be God that meets all needs. Who else could do that? Only God is able to do that, and it says very clearly in our text in verse 19, And my God will supply all your needs. All your needs. When a number of needs are identified in any one life and then multiplied, only God can make them. With man, these things are possible. They're impossible. Just like that that little widow with her little bottle and the, the prophet telling her, take it and fill up those vessels. Okay? Us with our needs... They are puny compared to God, the one that threw the universe into existence, the stars and the heavens and everything else. He wants to meet us and our needs. And sometimes we just almost wear ourselves out trying to meet our own needs. It's showing us that every conversion is utterly impossible. That verse that these things are impossible with man, but with God it's possible. It's talking about conversion. Okay? But... Even the most difficult case is possible with God. Do you have a loved one that's not saved? I do. I've got a number of them. Some of them are hard cases. (laughs) But he's able to save me. He saved me. Do you remember what you were like before you were saved? If he saved you, he can save them. Every conversion is impossible. Not with God. And so it is with the ability and willingness to meet all of our needs. You see, it is God who is the supplier of all the needs. It is God. The fact is that God is the one who supplies and puts our needs into a whole new sphere. Things that God has taught my wife and myself all his enabling grace that he's shown upon us in the years that we've walked with him. I just want to give you just a little personal testimony. It's not of us. These are things we've learned, okay? But maybe it'll help you. Mary and I were missionaries in Indonesia, and we had ample opportunity to bring many needs before the Lord. We were trained by a mission agency that practiced living by faith. We didn't even know what that meant. We were just freshly saved kids off the east side of St. Paul. And we ended up in a Bible school. And uh, 
by God's grace, we heard about living by faith. Well, after two years of living at the Bible school where we could receive funds and we could ask for help from family members and so forth and so on, we went into a deeper training for a year called boot camp. It's based on military type things. And it was, you know, just in-depth training for missionaries. And we were there for a year and they told us, okay, no more requesting for any of your needs. You just keep your mouth shut and open it up to God and pray to God that he'll meet your needs. And we began to learn that he is able We can attest to you that over the 25 years that we were with that mission, we never missed one meal, did we, Mary? Not one. Not one meal. And we always had what we needed, and often we had more than we needed so that we could share with others. I'm not just talking about food. Our needs increased manifold when we moved on to a little island in in eastern Indonesia. There are no roads, no stores, No telecommunications, no electricity, nothing. When you think of missionaries like that, think of pith helmets. It's like back in the 40s, man. Nothing there, nothing. And and we ended up on this island. And it was an isolated, primitive, tropical rainforest. Even once we had a single-band side radio, or single-sideband radio, uh, to connect us with the outer world, it would still take three to seven days for us to get to civilization. And then when we actually made the airstrip so that we could have an airplane come in, which only came in once every three or four months, even if we had an emergency, it would still be three hours away, and they could only fly from 9 o'clock in the morning till about 3 o'clock in the afternoon because the planes were unable to fly at night. And it was a three-hour trip. To say that we were way out and alone would be an understatement. And so if we had a medical need, if our children had an emergency, if we ran out of food, we couldn't just walk down to the supermarket or go to the ER. But God never let us down. He met every need. And he taught us that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Now, just to put... uh, caveat here. Took him 25 years. Come on. Talk about slow learners, right? You grow in these things and you begin to trust him. Paul wanted the Philippians to know that their generosity to him would never leave them broke or without. That's why he wrote this last section. He was assuring them. It wasn't about him getting a gift from them so he could do ministry. He trusted God. God would provide. But he wanted them to know his and their God was the supplier of all their needs. Secondly, no need is too great. None. All means all. Now, some people would say, well, we're talking about spiritual needs here. No. Paul is distinctly talking about material needs, finances here. And don't forget that the Philippian church in 2 Corinthians 8, I think, uh, verses 1 through 4, it talks about the churches of Macedonia, how out of their uh, deep affliction and, and their, their poverty, they gave. Okay, so they weren't a rich church. When Paul wrote that God would supply all their needs, he was not just using hyperbole. He was not just overstating the fact for emphasis. He was speaking the gospel truth to them, and here's a very difficult lesson to learn in our walk of faith. Our needs are constantly changing. 
And though we might have exercised faith yesterday, the needs that we have today call for a fresh faith. I cannot lean back on the way that God enabled Mary and I to have faith back in the days when we were in the jungle with the needs that I face today. It takes fresh faith. And that's a moment-by-moment walk with God that he calls us to. (laughs) It may serve to move us to dependent prayer. Yeah, you bet. When we are putting in this building and putting in this stupid beam, which will be paid off in October, and I say it's stupid because it came out of the blue, knocked us for a loop. I think that was a test. And, And by God's grace, we all said, we can do it. And we did. Okay? But we can't trust that faith now. What's he got for the future for us? What do we need to do in the future as beacon of hope? God will supply for every need. This is witnessed by Abraham. You remember Abraham when God demanded that he offer up Isaac, his only son, to him as a burnt offering? It's in Genesis 22. And they're walking up the mountain, and, and Isaac, you know, he was a grown man by this time. He wasn't just a little kid like some of the Sunday school materials have it. He must have been about 18, 19 years old. And he says to his father, because he's carrying wood, he says, the wood we have, the fire we have, where's the sacrifice? They didn't have a lamb. And Abraham just said, God himself will provide himself a sacrifice. And then as Abraham is obedient to God and he's got the knife lifted to sacrifice his only son, the angel called to him from heaven and said, don't, don't, you don't need to do that. I know Now that you have faith in me, I know you trust me. Okay? And so he looks over and there's a ram caught in a thicket. And that ram, they went and got and sacrificed in place as a substitute for Isaac. And then Abraham said and gave God the name Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Jireh, which means God will supply. Now that's a need that's over the top. Has God asked you to sacrifice your son yet? Or your daughter? And it's witnessed by David. Remember David when he went up against Goliath, right? I mean, we we gloss over these things so fast, but David is so funny because he goes to Saul and says, I'll take care of this Philistine. He he is smaller. He is younger. Younger than, than Isaac was, I think, when they went. And, and Saul is just like staggered. Like, you can't take care of him. You're just a little kid. Here, put on this armor. He says, no, I can't wear that. It's too heavy. And he says, listen, I was out watching my, my father's sheep, and a lion came and a bear came. And by the grace of God, he provided a way for me. I defeated the lion and I defeated the bear. In the same way, I'll defeat this Philistine. Now, he was basing his faith on a previous experience of God's faith, but he had to exercise new faith as he stood against this, this giant. And he goes up against the giant and he says, as I slew the bear and as I slew the lion, I'm going sl- to slay you today and I'm going to have your head. And he did. Chopped his head off and just walked around with it. Here's Goliath. Here's Goliath. Pwah. Kind of brutal, but you get the point. The faith we exercise by God's enablement yesterday isn't good enough for now. My needs now and then are different, 
And so the faith and dependence upon God must also be new. Hopefully, our previous experiences of trusting God have grown us to be quicker to trust Him now and maybe even to trust Him for greater things. Are you stretching your... you hear me say this. Stretching yourself out on God? He loves that. He loves that because He can prove Himself faithful over and over. And then we glorify Him, right? We glorify Him. All sufficiency, always, in all things, for everything. Thirdly, it's an endless resource. It's endless according to his riches, people. Paul's word just keep getting better and better. Not only is it God who is the supplier, and there is no need too great for God to meet, but now we look at how he meets the needs. He takes his resources from a bottomless well of blessing. God meets our needs according to, not out of his riches. Out of his riches would be off the top. Gives us a little bit. It's like the Taliabu when they first started learning about giving. They would look through their little hoarded rupiah and they'd take the smallest denomination of their rupiah and put it in a basket. They hadn't learned much yet. That's the way we are sometimes, isn't it? But God, he gives not out of his little hoard. He gives according to it. It's proportionate to his riches, which are infinite. The source of God's bank account is his own riches and glory. The God who owns the gold in every mine and the cattle on a thousand hills can meet the needs of all his children who dare to be faithful givers. Because that's the context here that he's talking to these people in. Be a faithful giver, and he will abundantly meet your needs. No, we're not a word of faith church. We're not one of those prosperity gospel preachers. That's a whole different kind of mentality and motivation. This means that God brings all the riches of heaven to our aid, meeting our need. His providence is able to muster all the resources of heaven and earth to meet need. He did this when he fed Elijah by the brook of Cherith. Man, you want to be encouraged. Read 1 Kings chapter 17. Okay? Because Elijah is told that it's not going to rain and and there's people after him. (laughs) And so he's, he's running for his life and God's says, go by this brook, by Cherith. And so when he, he, he goes to the brook, God sends ravens. I'm talking birds. He sends blackbirds to feed him in the morning and at night. They dropped off food for the prophet, morning and night. Well, then all of a sudden, the brook dried up. So like, what's the prophet going to do? Oh my gosh, God has forgotten me. No, the word of the Lord came and he said, I want you to go to uh, Zarephath where there is a widow that I've chosen, and she'll take care of you. And so he did. And even when she was preparing her very last meal for her and her son, or so she thought, God said to her, hey, the bowl of flour will not be exhausted, nor will the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth, because I want you to take care of my prophet. And it was so. And so he was taken care of again. But then, oh my Lord, the son dies. 
Her son dies. Do you get, you get in a picture here? God strips us away because he wants to bless us. He wants us to see he is powerful to do whatever we face. The son dies, so what's the prophet do? He raises him from the dead, of course. His arm is not shortened. His arm is not shortened. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sends more strength when labors increase. To added afflictions, he adds his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplied peace. Remember this song? When we've exhausted our store of endurance, and sometimes, sadly, it's only after we've tried and tried and tried and tried that we fall down on our face and go, God, help me. It's like Peter. He was right up to here in the ocean, and he said, save me. (laughs) Then the Lord's hand immediately came out, right? That's the way we are. When we've exhausted our store of endurance, when strength has run dry and the day is just half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. You can't, you can't tap into infinity and think that you're depleting something. You might as well take a grain of sand and say, okay, I've got it all. Or maybe one star from heaven. Fear not that your need will exceed His provision. Our God ever yearns His resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting and availing. The Father, both you and your load, will bear. Finally, His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. In these days when everything is so confusing and many are beginning to realize that the state of things are getting rather serious, or some are having to choose to comply or lose their employment or change up their children's education, don't let your heart be fearful or hopeless. Remember that God is able to meet and surpass every need that could ever afflict you and possibly even bless you beyond as the illustrations that we've read from the Scripture. Don't be afraid. Because He supplies according to His riches, not out from His riches. How utterly amazing. The Philippians supplied Paul's need out of their deep poverty, and God's going to meet their needs according to His riches. It's quite a contrast. Finally, it's all through Jesus. We always go back to Jesus. Always. In glory and in Christ Jesus. At the very end of verse 19, he brings it all home. The centrality of Jesus is paramount. He's the source of all blessings, whether spiritual or material, for everyone who is in Christ Jesus. This doesn't work for unbelievers. It just does not work. You are a chosen grace. You're chosen priesthood, people. Hold yourself like that. You're royalty. Live like that. Don't be eating peanut butter sandwiches, for heaven's sakes. Get the filet mignon. Right? Enjoy the good things that God has prepared for you. He just longs to bless you with them. But you've got to stretch out on it. 
can't complain. Ephesians 1.3 speaks of all spiritual blessings are ours in Christ. But here Paul's assuring the Philippians that their generosity, though they were deeply afflicted and in poverty, would be met with all the riches of God's glory in Christ Jesus. Just listen to 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2, which describes the church at Philippi. He says there, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. So you know it's not just them because they're good people. It's the grace of God working in their hearts, which they're allowing. That in a great ordeal of affliction, they were suffering persecution. Their abundance of joy, yet they were really joyful, okay? And their deep poverty, they were poor as church mice. In their deep poverty, they overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. <laughs> First, notice that the context is the grace of God. Secondly, it's the churches of Macedonia. It's, it's Philippi. And then we've got, we can't mix up the context here. He's definitely talking about finances there too. Material stuff. He's telling those who were suffering a great ordeal of affliction, yet with great joy, even though they were deep in poverty, the way that they gave their material possessions is described as overflowing the banks. Okay? So that's like if you reach in your pocket and you've got a one, a five, and a 20, you give the 20 and the five. That's over and above. You hold on to the one. It's like that man I told you, uh, Laternal. He gave God 90%, kept 10% for himself. God, that's tithing in reverse, right? This is amazing. We have, I, I, don't, I don't do that. I'll be honest with you, I don't give 90%. I give as much as I can, and I give, but not 90%. But then again, he has my whole life, and if he wants more, he'd just tell me, and I'd say yes. I really would, people. And I pray for you that you feel the same. And I pray that you will pray for us that your leaders are this way and maintain that kind of an attitude. This illustrates the law from the smaller to the greater. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's referred to as light to heavy. Light to heavy. And it simply states that if the lesser is true, then the greater is certain. If God can meet our puny material needs, you think he can't meet our greater eternal spiritual needs? Of course he can. And you can go from the greater to the lesser. If he has already given us all things freely to enjoy in Jesus Christ, do you think that he can't meet our puny little needs? Of course he can. It goes both ways, but God's always the source of the giving, isn't he? whether from small, material, to the greater, spiritual, it's all through Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul can't help but break out into doxology in verse 20. Look at verse 20. He just, I can hear him singing. Now to our God, our Father, be the glory forever. Amen. Right after verse 19, it's like he shocked himself. It's like John Newton's phrase, a marvel to myself. I am a wonder to myself. Why do you say that? Because of what God did in him. He looks at himself and goes, that's not John. It's what God did. And that's what Paul is doing. Wow. So, this 
entire book has been a wonderful journey together. And we've learned so much, haven't we? It's a book of joy. May God help each one of us who have placed their confidence in Christ to not be like the poor man eating his peanut butter bread when he could be eating filet mignon. This is the way of contentment. I've been, this is the third sermon that I've preached on contentment, and I call it the way of contentment. Part one, part two, part three. Go back and listen to them. And what Paul's provided for us is an ironclad pathway to living in the midst of this topsy-turvy world with the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension reigning in our hearts. Beloved, it's only going to get more difficult. It is going to get more difficult. It's a world thing. It's not just the United States. But you don't have to fear. And what I, what I see, and I'm not a prophet, I don't have that gift, but what I see is us coming together closer and closer because we're going to have to take care of each other. People are going to be losing their jobs. Kids aren't going to be able to go to their schools. What are we going to do? We're going to pull together and we're going to meet those needs by the grace of God. This is a safe place. Shalom. The church of Jesus Christ. God has made a way of contentment available to each one of us. Whatever situation that you're facing, and therein is a perfect reason this book is referred to as a book of joy. Go into the dining room, sit down, pull up to a beautiful dinner prepared for you and provided for you by God. And leave your old peanut butter sandwiches in the bag where they belong. You don't need those. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary that's known to man. For out of his infinite riches in Christ Jesus, right, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a generous God. Oh, where would we be if you were not? For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is no more greater generosity than that. The giving of your own dear Son to take our place, our punishment on the cross, so that we might be free and enjoy eternal salvation with you forever. Thank you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.